just want to go right into uh, what I've been felt compelled to speak on in this season. We, um, as people, as human beings, our personalities are to, uh, I've been saying, to go so far. They say that most of society today are the 90 percenter club. You do go so far and you do so much and then you hit a point and it's like, okay, I'm done. It's just human nature. Most people are like that. There's a very few that actually push through the hundred. There's another category of people that like that last 10%. But proportionally, most of society are 90 percenters. We go to a certain point and we just, our nature is to just to give up and, or say that's good enough. You know, it's right in the Bible. This is not a new thing. This is not a brand new, it's not, a, it's not today's human nature. This is a biblical issue in humanity. This is something that has plagued humanity since the beginning of time, and at the very least, we are, it's written here 2,000 years ago. Last week, we talked in the book of John, chapter 6, how we, ha- we come to this challenge. Jesus challenges his people. He loves his people. I was meditating on being the fact that as a parent, when you ask your child to do something that they can't stand doing or that they huff and puff about, etc., you're not doing it because you're the boss. You might say those lines, but you have motives in between. You know, you have a reason why. You don't need to explain it, so you say, because I said so. But the reason is really for their good. It's for the good of the whole. It's for the good of, of the home. But in the moment, you might just say something like, I, I said so. But the ultimate uh, purpose is for their growth and so that they would be um, diligent children, so that they would learn that their responsibilities are part of life. All the time when my sons huff and puff, I'll tell them, well, I don't feel like working either. But you see me get up. I mean, I might say, oh, it's freezing outside. And, but you see me go. I may not like it, but I don't turn it down. That's for sure. And it's just the reality of life. I said, you got to get used to it now. All these things that you have, where do you think they came from? Somebody had to go out and work for them. <laughs> Somebody did. And I said, maybe I give you too much too easy. Sometimes that's not, it's, it's, it's too much because now they don't appreciate what it takes to get that. So God, though, is looking at us much like we do at our children, isn't he? He's our father, we're his children. And he gives us all these analogies. I mentioned the husband and wife analogy in Ephesians um, a week or two ago because these analogies help us to understand a little bit. I mean, we can't fully understand him, but we can understand a little bit of God. And this analogy of himself, he calling him, let me start that again. He calls himself our father, and we are identified as his children. And then we are fathers and mothers in this earth and have children. So we can look at that picture that God created, and it will give us at least an idea of what he's doing. And it's that dad knows best. He may not explain every reason why he does what he's doing, but he knows best. And the child is being groomed and raised to be a mature adult one day. 
That's really the purpose in that whole process of childhood is not so that you can have fun and you can be buddies. Those things are great. I love the fact that my kids are my buddies as well, and I'm their buddy, and I love that we get to have fun. But if that was the purpose, if at 25 years old, they're still coming over and playing video games instead of working, that is. I mean, let's play video games. But instead of working, then we've got a problem. Then I didn't raise them to be mature adults. I just raised them to be children. And your child season's going to come to an end. And, and that's how it works. That's the picture. Then one day, you're a grandparent. We've got a couple of grandparents in here. And they're, then their job is now to support those young ones again. Well, continue to support the parents help us and all the things that they've been through that we don't know. And then to help that grandchild, right? So, and that's God's kingdom. That's how it works. But we find in Christianity, in the church, it's very common. It's very easy to hit a certain point. We hit walls. We hit obstacles. We hit things we don't like. We hit, we hit times that are tough, etc., and we can huff and puff just like a child to dad, and our nature is going to want to quit and give up. It's no different than the picture of the, in the natural. We can carry that over into the spiritual. And I just believe the Lord just wanted to encourage us in the season that we need to keep, keep going. So bringing back to John chapter 6, we find this, this, this story where Jesus is with um, the disciples He's also with some extended, there's the 12, and then there's disciples. There was a group of disciples. We don't know their exact number. We know um, after in Acts that there was 120 um, of these extended disciples. We don't know what the group was, but the point is in John 6, 6, 6, they get offended at Jesus, and a large portion of it says many walked away from him. And then he turns to the 12 in verse 67 and says, are you going to leave also? Peter replies, where are we going to go? He had learned that Jesus was the answer, and he, has, he, he grounded, he put his feet into the ground in that moment spiritually and said, I'm staying with you. I'm going to stick it out. But Jesus literally turned to him and said, are you going to leave also? That's the challenge that we will face as Christians. We need to be aware of this so that when the things come, come to us, when the moments come, when God challenges us, when the enemy's doing things in your life, the Bible says that God's not doing those things to harm you, but he will allow things. It says all things work together. No matter what is happening, whether you're on a mountaintop or you're on a valley low, all of it is working together to form you into a mature believer. Yes, ultimately that picture of maturity is Jesus, but that is not just so that he can say, okay, I've got mature children, but it's a place of intimacy with him. And they're kind of intertwined. There's an intertwining of our, as we become more and more mature, that the intimacy becomes more mature. 
just like a human being. We can go down these analogies. You can look at these analogies. We can see the natural and see a spiritual, that the intimacy becomes more, the, as you're more mature, there's more of an intimacy that you will have as an adult. There is an intimacy and a maturity that are intertwined walking with Jesus. And you'll find them together. So he's not just looking for you to be mature so he can say, look at all my mature soldiers, look at all these mature people. He's looking for intimacy. But along, inside of that will be a maturity. It's just natural. And so um, Jesus will challenge you. G- walking with Jesus will challenge you. Walking with him will challenge you. There will be times that he will say things that we don't like. There will be times that the enemy will do or say things to us that we won't get, we won't understand. It's not going to make sense. It's going to feel unfair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we have Jesus's picture that that was normal. And then we can go into Acts and see that that is normal as well that there was constant opposition to the gospel, but that they were so filled with joy through the whole process because they had realized that following him didn't mean that, we, that times of offense won't come. It didn't mean that times of opposition won't come. It didn't mean that those things wouldn't come. It meant that when those things came, because they will, they decided, I'm going to keep following I believe that's what the Lord's saying. If this was an immature group of people, I think I'd have to play this down a lot more, but I really just want to speak straight to you today because I believe that you are mature, and I believe the Lord has given us some, some scriptures that you can take. So just bear with me. I'm going to lead us, just bring us through the Gospels. Just want to look at a few chunks of scripture here. Um, you can find them. Really, in all four Gospels, you find this amazing story that starts right in the first verses. And Jesus finds, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus finds some disciples in verse 18. And just bear with Dawn. She's filling in for Mariah, not feeling well. So might be a little bit slower there because we're just, we're so reliant upon her. We're not used to this anymore. We're really grateful for the job she does. Um, but so just bear with her if she doesn't have the scripture or the translation that I'm looking for in the moment. It says in verse 18 that one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them. Everybody read those words out loud. Come, follow me. That's beautiful words, isn't it? Those are beautiful words, and it's the same words that he's saying to you today. It's the same words that he said to you once, but he continues to say this. And I want to look at that. He says, follow me, and I will show you how to make, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to take you, you're fishing for, for fish. I'm going to teach you to go and get people. You're going to get people. You're going to take the, the skills that you have that you understand that there is that fish trying to outsmart you, but if you stick it out, <laughs> if you stay in the game, I'm not a huge fisherman, but I get it. You got to stick it out and you got to wait until one day they make that mistake. They lower their guard. That's really what happens when we come to Christ. The guard gets lowered and bam, the hook is set not to trick you, 
but he needs to get us because we're so hard. He needs to find that opportune moment and bam, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to, you're going to go and do this with people. You're going to bring the gospel in that right at the right moment in their weakness, in their, in their guard is down. The gospel is going to hook them and this is going to be a job for you. Now, I wondered as I read this that I thought, what did Jesus, what did he say to them? Did he just say, come follow me? And they, because the, the, the Bible says that in verse 22, that they, after he found um, John and James as well, in verse 22, it says that they immediately, the four of them, immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And I thought, what happened here on the shore that was so impacting to them that they would just leave everything? It says they left everything and their father, and there's a significance to their father because there's such, and I don't know if I'll get into it today, but very quickly there is such a cultural tie to your family and leaving your father, leaving your family is like leaving your inheritance, leaving your heritage. I mean, I don't think they said goodbye forever. I don't think that's what happened here in this story, but there's a symbolism that they left behind their birth, this earth, they there, there's a new father. There's the, this father has been doing a great job, but he's been raising them for the father to raise them. There's such a symbolism that they left it behind. They left their name. They left everything. And they follow him. But I, was, I totally forgot about this account in Luke chapter 5. I asked the Lord, I'm reading through these, these follow me's as I'm finding them in the Gospels. And I forgot this. In Luke 5 verse 1 just quickly, Jesus comes to the shore and the, and the great crowds pressed in on him. And in the Luke account, we go right into Jesus preaching in chapter 5. And there's, uh, we, we see his birth. We see John the Bap- an introduction to John the Baptist and his temptation. And um, we're immediately right here. He's, he's preaching in the Luke account. And it says that um, they pressed on him in verse 2. And it says, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. We know what fishermen these are, don't we? We're about to see. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, the same line here, they left everything and followed Jesus. You may have had a similar occurrence with different details. 
You weren't out on a fishing boat. But there was a moment where Jesus showed you that he was real. There was a moment where he caught you before he sent you out to catch anyone else. He caught you, and you were caught. That's it. You're not escaping this net. He's got you. I mean, you know that you came to the place as he did instantly. I need you, Jesus. And so when Jesus said, follow me, he knew that he had to. Jesus got a hold of him. And I think as believers, as the church, when we come to that place, we, um, we fall in love with Jesus. We have this encounter with him, and it's an amazing, incredible moment with him. But we see that in John 6, 6, just a short time later, Jesus turns to them and says, are you going to leave? Now, they didn't leave. But you find this constant challenge if you read through. And we're going to look at a few of them. You find this challenge of leaving all to follow him, but sticking to that commitment. And we're just, just if you can bear with me, and I'm, I'm going to watch that time today. I'll be very conscious, uh, and so you can have this afternoon. I know there's a lot of family things that you'll be doing today, so let me just keep moving. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we just see the account that he picks up Levi, or, or Luke calls him Levi. He's the same as Matthew. And then in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So we see this account. Jesus is picking up his disciples and there's some other accounts how he got Philip. And then there was some other disciples that weren't the 12 that you see the same kind of idea that it was this following and they followed him. You also find that he healed someone and, and says that after they were healed, it says they followed him. You find this theme, we just don't have time because it's so much and it's four gospels packed with this theme, but many times when they were touched by Jesus, the inclination was to follow him and, and Jesus allows them. And I didn't plan on going there today, but I'll do it for a moment. We find that Jesus comes to the Gasserines or the Gadarenes, right? Oh, and he heals the demoniac and he wants to follow Jesus. The thing that happens inside you when Jesus touches you is that you want to follow him. And that spark, I think, is across the board. We don't, we're not going to argue about that, that spark. But Jesus is going to challenge us here. We're going to look here that following him, as I said last week, means following him. Following him means following. You said yes, and that was, that was an amazing moment. But as soon as that demon, so to speak, comes back, we don't know his story, but what happens when that demon tries to come back? Are we going to give control back over? Because it's real easy to give control over to what you're used to and what you like and what, where, you, where you were. It's real easy to do. You don't want to, but it's real easy to do. It's harder to stick it out. But tremendously, as we know, much more beneficial, much healthier. This is where life is and that's where death is. 
but everything in, in society and in your past and in your heart and in your mind and, and in your lineage even, the name there, in your father, everything is pushing you this way because that's the way you've been going. And we turn to follow Jesus. We cut through that crowd. We looked with the woman in the crowd and she had to get through the crowd to get to Jesus. But the enemy will try if he can... And he will fail if you stay close to Jesus, but he will try just to get you right back. That demon will try to come back. And when you stay close to Jesus, he has no authority. He will not touch you again. Who can testify of that, that those things have been kicked out and left forever? But what did it take? What's it take? It takes you continuing to be here. Not necessarily within these four walls of this, but to stay in his kingdom, to stay in his presence, to stay in his word, to stay in prayer. That's what it takes. And it's not that the kingdom of God is this hard, struggling, awful thing. I don't want to paint that picture, but I also don't want you, and we're going to look at his words right now, to think that that. Wow, something's happening in my life. What's going on? I'm facing some things. I thought Jesus was just going to take care of everything. I thought that Jesus got it. I, I handed it all to you. Why am I facing anything? Why, why am I struggling? Why am I being challenged? And I want you to see this is just part of the kingdom. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, He said, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That's an amazing line to say. Who wants to say that to Jesus right now? I will follow you wherever you go. Well, Jesus says in, in 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Verse 59, he said to another person, Come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Verse 60, but Jesus told him, and I like the way the NLT says this. is uh, New King James just says, let the dead bury their dead. Really what he's talking about is uh, this earth, this, the natural, the flesh, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anybody challenged right now by these scriptures? Are you offended? That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus said in John 6. Does this offend you? Now, what happened when Peter didn't let the offense get to him? What happened? When Peter becomes an, out, an absolute firehouse pillar for the kingdom of God. It took him some time to get to the Peter and Acts. It was a process. But he did not let these things that he didn't understand. I'm going to just look at a few of these things. I didn't just read it and just blaze over that for you. <laughs> We're going to look at some of those things. So that you can go, oh, I, can, I understand a little bit. If I just leave those, maybe the lack of understanding in these things can feel so heavy. But he doesn't, he, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you want to follow me, and that's what I want. But I need you to realize something. 
The foxes have dens. There's a place. Everything in society and everything in your life right now is, is, you know, you have this. I got my retirement figured out and I've got my home figured out and I just painted my picket fence white and I just picked up my dog um, at the groomer and I just picked up my two and a half kids at the hospital and everything's perfect. And Jesus says, now listen, come follow me, but I just want you to know that it's a journey. It's not rest here. I need you to realize that you're not, when you come to follow me, don't be surprised. And we're going to look. He says, right, he, Jesus tells us straight, count the costs before you follow him. Count the costs. We're going to look at that before we go today. But he says, I, just so you know, I don't live here. You want to follow me, don't think you're going to find your stability here. This is not my home. So if you follow me, if you're honestly telling me you want to follow me, I'm heading somewhere. My home, the place I lay my head is in eternity. I rest my head, I'm going to fill in the, the blank here, against the Father's shoulder when I'm tired if there was such a thing. He's not tired. He just rests his head on the Father because he loves him. That's what he's telling us. If you want to follow me, I just want you to know, don't look at this world and don't think that everything is going to be settled here. You make that decision, you're leaving this place behind. We're leaving this here. And that's why the next verses will make sense when they say, I'm going to follow you, but just let me do this. Let me do that. Let me finish this. Let me settle that. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, and these are hard scriptures, guys. I mean, they're hard for me to read myself. They're hard to preach because Jesus challenges us. But what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you want to follow me, you need to leave as, and that's why I started with those verses. The ones that stuck it out, they were listening to these words. They left everything. You can't bring your past. You can't bring your mind. You can't bring your opinions. If you want to follow me, and I want you to follow me, Jesus wants every single person to follow him. His discipleship is not limited to 12. It's not limited to the 120 in the upper room. It was the ones that were willing to continue to follow. I've looked at that 120 so many times, and I thought, how sad, because I heard 5,000 were fed here. 4,000 were fed here, 10 were healed here, one was healed here, a crowd here, a crowd there. You start doing some basic math, and it doesn't equal 120. That's the kingdom. Don't be shocked by that. That's just how it is that our nature is that once Jesus, even his own 12, whom he loved, just as he loves us, even his own 12, at the time of the cross, abandoned him. Even Peter, I noticed these words, very interesting language for Peter. As we get to the trial for Christ, we find this story of Peter following Jesus. 
And we find this challenge that, and, and there's, there's many of them. I don't know how many I'm going to get to today with time, but you find that he says things like this a lot. But we come to this point of following Jesus, and it says that Peter says to Jesus, I'm just going to, I'll just say it instead of trying to find it here in all my notes. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, really? He's like, yeah, I'll die. I'll die for you. We know the story. We know what happens. He denies him three times. Well, it says the actual words there is when Jesus goes to the trial, it says Peter followed at a distance. I thought those words were so significant. The language is on purpose. The words are on purpose. He still followed, but he followed at a distance. Now, that was the exact place he got in trouble. He distanced himself from Jesus. And what happened in the distance? Now he's over here, away from Jesus. Now, can you blame him? I don't want to judge him, and I'm being really careful because I don't want God or Peter next to Jesus right now and be like, listen, you need to teach this kid a lesson. He doesn't know how hard that was. Put him in that situation. See what he'll do. I'm being real careful. I'm not judging Peter because, you know, this moment must have been... I mean, you don't know what's going on. They, Jesus had been telling him he was going to go through this, but you don't, I mean, in the heat of the moment, you don't know what's going on. All you know is that you're, this guy you've been following who no one could touch him, he just got arrested and he's being beaten. What do you think they're going to do to you? So I don't judge Peter. But when he distanced himself from following him, what happens? Denial. As soon as he distanced himself from following, now he's over here. Jesus is over there. Now the testing comes away from Jesus. And they say to him, aren't you his follower? No. Denies him. Now he weeps bitterly. And as you hear me say often, because I love Peter, you hear me say this a lot. Peter never fights that battle again. I mean, he fought, he, that was it. This was the nail in the coffin. From that moment on, he is steady. He's a follower. He realized that, you know what? I am willing to die. Shame on me that I didn't go die with him. And he does. The Lord rewards him. I know this is not fun language. But the Lord rewards him with being able to die as if he had stayed next to Christ and put him on a cross with him. That's ultimately what happens anyway. So the very thing that he pushed away from he, the Lord gives him grace to finish and fulfill that. But the moment we distance ourselves from following Jesus, the challenge will be some disciples left, some just left way early. And now right here in the heat of the moment, when it gets down to it, when the moment happens that you don't understand, that something is happening, and you feel like the Lord should have more power, wow, that's significant. The moment when you feel like the Lord should have more power in this situation, but you don't know what God's doing. You, don't un, you just don't. We're not seeing through these eyes. We are faith-led people. We are led by faith, not by sight, not by our intellect, not by our minds, not by our eyes. And we just need to, at that moment, double down. You just need to double down then. The very moment where your faith is being challenged, the very moment where you feel like God's power is not working in your life, just get closer. 
make a dedication in that moment. I'm going to follow you even closer. I'll make a promise to you that if you do that, and I can base it on the word, if you decide to do that, you will never be failed. It may not be the situation, it may not be the, the, the outcome, may not be the words that you want to hear him say on this side, but it will be right. It will be God. And that's all I'll say about that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, and we can see this in the book of Mark too, but he says uh, in verse 38, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Such beautiful words from Jesus. These are beautiful words. He knows what he's talking about. Let's just remember all these, these lines. We love the words of Jesus. We love the words in red. And there's a, uh, there's a, a, a modern sect it's branching off of Christianity. I don't even know what it's called, but I think it's something like red letter Christians, something along those lines. Now, if you read all the red letters, you'd be reading these too. But what the ones they love is the ones like um, uh, all, the, all the lines about giving and helping and doing and all of those things are what Jesus said. So a very community, a very selfless, homeless giving type of community. And, and those things are great. None of that is wrong. Those are the words of Jesus. But they're taking a portion of his words just as, as we could be tempted to do. The reason they got challenged in verse 6-6 in the book of John, chapter 6, is because they liked the portion before that. They liked John up to verse 65. I just can't move past this. I can't, Jesus, because I don't understand this, I will, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you called me. I'm thrilled that I get to follow you. But when the challenge time comes in your life, he will challenge you. If you are truly following him, the challenge to continue to follow will be there. He will love you. I'm going to say it again. I, I promise that I would keep saying this. He will love you whether you decide to make that right choice or not. He will love you before he found you. He still loves you the same over here. But the challenge will be that if you decide to follow him and keep following him, that that won't stop. And the very time that we pull away and we walk away, it's really just giving place for the enemy. That's when the temptation really comes to fruition. That's the moment when we decide that I can't do what you've asked me to do. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. I don't understand this time. And, the, and when we push away from Christ and we go back into us, remember you left it. Remember when you follow Jesus, you left your net, you left your name, you left everything. And if you go back to you, that's when you run into trouble. That's what we saw with Peter. He ran into trouble when he went back into him instead of staying in Jesus. And I mean, there's just, there's a ton here. And like I said, I'm not going to read them all, but there's so many good lines that Jesus said with the same theme. He says, if you want to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? There's really nothing you could gain here. There's, no, there's nothing here for you anyway. Whatever you give up, it'll be worth it. In fact, he continues, and there's a few verses, there's a few things. There's a really challenging chunk of scripture here in Matthew 19, verse 16. And uh, very quickly, just to breeze through this, this man comes to him. We know this passage, passage of scripture Uh, You can find it in the other Gospels as well. He says, good teacher. And he says, what's it take to be saved? And he goes through this list of things uh, that I've done. And and, uh, Jesus says, you know, you can't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't testify falsely. He's like, I've done all that. And then Jesus says in verse 21 of Matthew 19, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come, there's our line, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Now, this is the part I want you to get. There was a man that couldn't he, he, was, he walked away. He didn't want to give up everything for Christ. He wanted to hang on. That's the, the picture of this analogy. He didn't want to shed it all. Jesus said, that's how you follow me. You have to shed it all. Now, in this case, his issue was that he was rich. That might not be your issue. I don't think there's a ton of that in Wappingers Falls, New York. I don't know what your issue is, but you can't take your issue. You have to leave it. You have to leave who you are. You have to get rid of that to follow him. Jesus just says it like it is. And he says, so Peter, there's Peter again. There's this this story going through the Gospels. And he said to him, verse 27, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? I love this. I love this because Peter's like that very thing that he, he couldn't do. And we find that theme of those that are willing to lay it down, those that get offended or those that can't give up, etc. And they stop following. But we find that it's either following or not. That's this story. It's either following Jesus or you're not following Jesus. And he says, I assure you, come on. This is the Lord speaking to us. I assure you, when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up, whatever you've given up, Houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. 
There is no price that Jesus will ask you to pay that he won't pay you back a hundredfold. He's not asking that rich man or asking you to give up you because he says, um, I can't stand you. I don't like you. I don't love you. He's not saying any of those things, but he has a purpose. That's why I started. Now, the, go back to the beginning of the sermon. As a father and a child, God could just say, because I said so. But I believe his word gives us some indications of a little bit more. He's more tender than that. Shows us that the things that we try to hold on to, he, we just read it. They don't mean anything anyway. What is worth your soul? What benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? There's no benefit really to any of those things anyway. Whatever you give up, God is saying to us, whatever you suffer, whatever you don't understand, but you keep following me anyway, every time you do that, I am there I'm keeping account. There is nothing that will, has been wrong to you that I'm not aware of and that won't be repaid. God is looking for us to follow him. And the Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? He will reward you. Now, in other um, passages talking in this, this same chunk of Jesus speaking here, you find in some of the other gospels as well. And, and one of them, one of the accounts, I have them all here. I don't remember which one. He says, and also in this time, but that is not a guarantee. Some of the things that have been stolen from you, we've seen it. You give something up in your old life, in your sin, and the Lord repays it in this earth, in, in a much better way, right? Who has given up even something as horrible to think about as like a best friend, but you've gotten saved and they don't want anything to do with it and you don't hate the person, but your friendship, it just... You just kind of have to leave that friendship for the best thing in you, right? And then the Lord sends you somebody in the kingdom who becomes that rock, that friend that you needed, right? Who is, who's had that, right? So the Lord will give you some things here. He's just the, mate, the big guarantee, the promise, the one that, you, that is undeniable, that, that is 100% is the eternal one. That's really the one he wants you to focus on. He really doesn't want you to say, well, I'll give this up because I know I'll get. That's not really what he's looking for. He's looking for the following. I mean, Peter had followed, this is chapter 19, and he had followed all that time with ever asking that question. He could ask it now because at this point, it's like, Jesus, I, you know that we've given up everything. He followed it without any promise or guarantee of anything. It was just following Jesus to be with Jesus. He saw what Jesus did. He realized this is Jesus and I need to be with him. This is all that matters. He realized that this stuff, these things, these, these don't matter. And he says a few things here in, I'll just breeze through this in Luke 
chapter 14, and I'll close with this. He says, A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, Luke 14, verse 26, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, (laughs) your father, your mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Count that cost. You need to know. That's why I don't like, listen, the gospel is the answer. The love of Jesus Christ is the answer. That's it. Settled. Done. Period. But I don't like when we as Christians try to sell people the gospel. Be like, man, you want a million dollars? You want that job you hoped for? You want this? You want that? I've got it. Jesus is your answer. How about this? You are headed towards hell. That's a sad truth. I hate to tell you that. It's like a cliff that's right there. But I'll tell you what. Stop right now. There's a chance. Jesus is right here. He's in the way. You get him. There is no such thing as hell. In fact, not only by getting him do you get life, but his, the Bible says that his kingdom endures forever. That means that whatever you build here that fails and becomes rust and the moth destroys and the thieves break in and steal never, ever fades or fails for eternity. How about that for the gospel? Jesus said, and I think that Jesus is sad by us preaching any other way to not tell this world the real gospel that there's an enemy that's against you and, part, and half of that is yourself wanting self. The fulfillment of that is really starting to blossom in the time we live in of self. That, that seed was planted a long time ago and it's been growing and growing and growing and now self but Jesus tells you you have to deny that there is nothing you deny that I won't give you back a hundred times that's an amazing promise I can sell the gospel I don't like using that language but if I'm going to use that what I just said I don't like when people sell the gospel but if I'm going to sell let's just use the bible that you give up your life let's use the the words of the bible not just say yes to Jesus, ask him in, a heart, in, his, in your heart, and he'll give you a million dollars. He's going to fulfill every last hope that you've ever dreamed of since you were a kid. No, no, not necessarily because those hopes and dreams in you may have been out of self that wanted to be better than other people, that wanted to be richer than other people, that wanted to, that pride was trying to build up. So not necessarily. Maybe in you, and you see Hobby Lobby, I was like, man, what are we selling our, simultaneously, what are we selling ourselves short? Like what's in us that we're afraid to go and try and do? There are hopes and dreams inside of you simultaneously that had some pure motives. So maybe, but not everybody who dreamed of owning Hobby Lobby is going to own Hobby Lobby, period. 
And we shouldn't look at each other and be like, well, why does he get to own Hobby Lobby and I don't? Well, who knows what God's ultimate plan and purpose is in your life, what your call is, you just be you. But if we were going to look and say, well, he's following God, I'm not because he's rich, I'm not, that's not the gospel because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you follow me, you count the cost, I'll promise you something, but it will be when you cross over. There's going to be 12 thrones, he tells them, not here, in eternity. And he doesn't want us to be unaware of this. And I think the reason that I'm preaching this, and it's just like, you know, this is sharp, is so that we're not caught off guard when things are tough, when you're challenged, when we don't understand, when you don't have every dollar. The first thing that Christians say to another Christian when they can't pay a bill is, where is sin in your life? Why aren't you tithing? The reality is we live in a fallen world. The only guarantee that he's given us, the ultimate one, is eternity. Now, with that said, when you start following Jesus, we don't see the disciples ever complain about money, for instance. They never, ever complain about it. They had everything they need. And Hobby Lobby, what's, I don't know the guy's name, but I just was thinking about this the other day. This guy just decided he's following God. He's going to start to do something, and God blessed it. So you start following Jesus, he'll start giving sparking dreams, desires. You don't know what's inside there that he has for you to do. But just don't look around and judge if you're following based upon how big it is in this earth, because that's not your gauge. That was what God had him to do. And we know that he's for real because he stood up for abortion and said, no way. He didn't sell out. He stays closed on Sundays. So we know the guy's the real deal. How many of us, even me, would I close? And I'd be like, well, listen, it's not the church, not the kingdom. It could be open on Sunday. It's just a store. Maybe I would have thought like that. The guy's the real deal. So obviously in following Christ, there are things inside of you. It's just that's not your ultimate. He doesn't. And I guarantee if we sat him down right now and we said, what gives you hope? What's life about? He wouldn't say Hobby Lobby. He'd be like, the Lord's blessed me, and I'm so thankful. But you know what? When Hobby Lobby's gone, when I'm gone, it's eternity. He'd be like, because he's an older guy now, I want my grandkids to know Jesus. Not, I can't wait for them to take over my empire. You see the difference? The Lord, who knows what dream, don't, not telling you to shelf your dreams, but I'm just saying, you need to get rid of you. He'll give you. He will spark and he will encourage. He will grow. He'll do that when you start following him. When you back off from him, then you're back to your old self. And who knows what your dreams, what your hopes, what your plans. You don't even know your own motives. You have no idea why those things are in you. That's why we stay close to Christ and he just starts establishing and making and, and all of a sudden, you're just being faithful. That's exactly his story. All it was was just a little tiny thing and he was just faithful and faithful and it grew. He didn't say, I, I just, man, thank you, Jesus, you gotta hold me because one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna own Hobby Lobby. I'm gonna be rich. He was just faithful and God blessed him. Hopefully I didn't get too far off with that, but I just saw, just, you know, I felt like God 
wanted to encourage us that we need to count the cost. He says, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. He tells us straight. Jesus said it. I didn't say it, that's not my opinion. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Everything. You have to be willing. Now, does that mean I want, nobody should be going home and putting all of your furniture in the front lawn? It's a mental thing. That stuff in your house means nothing. It means nothing. That's why he says, you know, it's a harsh statement. Even your own family, you love your family, but if it's your family or Jesus, that's a harsh thing. But Jesus said it has to be, it's always Jesus, period. Your stuff, your family, your name, your plans, your purposes, your hopes, everything. And then when you let that die, Jesus gives you everything that you could have ever dreamed and hoped for anyway. He gives you a hundred times better, eternally guaranteed. Amen? All right. I think I've said plenty. <laughs> Let's stand. I want to pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you don't let us just show up one day before your throne and say, I didn't know. Lord, you love us so much that you gave us your word clear. You wrote it clearly for us to understand and for us here, Lord, the mature believers here, Lord. You've given us a message. You gave us, Lord, your word. You're speaking to us today to let go of this world, to not let any of it hold on to us, because those things will pass, but eternity's forever. Lord, I pray that that revelation we get so down deep inside of us that, Lord, even as you bless many here, Lord, and you take them to places they didn't imagine in this world as well, Lord, that their minds and their hearts were so disattached that they continually, Lord, all of us continually say to you, this means nothing, I just want you. This means nothing, I just want you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, in our blessings and in this country, Lord, where it comes so easily and we're so blessed, Lord, I pray we would not, in Jesus' name, we would not, Lord, be distracted by it. Where other nations, Lord, don't have anything and this scripture comes a little bit easier for them, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would catch our hearts and I thank you, Lord, that once our heart is caught, that's all that you care about anyway. I pray that you catch that place, Lord, then the things don't matter anyway. In Jesus' name, amen.